You are Locked On Women's Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Locked On Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard Magdahl, reminding you, you can follow us on Twitter, at Locked On WBB, like us on Facebook, Locked On Women's Basketball, or go ahead and both subscribe and review us on iTunes or your podcast listen of choice. Joining me today for the WNBA Offseason Free Agent Spectacular is the spectacular Gabriella Levine. Gab, thank you for joining. Thanks for having me, Howard. This is really just a continuation of the endless conversation we've been having, but let's bring the listeners in and start by talking about the trades. We'll start with the very first one. That's Carolyn Swords, uh, the mainstay center for the New York Liberty. Now, briefly went to Washington in exchange for Kia Vaughn and Bria Hartley. Uh, My initial reaction to this trade was a single stat, and that is rebounding percentage. Carolyn Swords was at 18.1% of the available rebounds last year for New York. The leader for Seattle last year was Brianna Stewart at 16.7%, and they need and must have her doing many other things. So I thought that was a really significant move and really important one for Seattle. What are your thoughts about this trade on both ends? Yeah, when I saw it, I just said to myself, this is, I can't picture really um, a better trade for Seattle in terms of acquiring a center that can really fit well in their system. They have Crystal Langhorn now that who started last season, who's consistently started at the center spot for them. But I think that Carolyn Swords is actually a player who could come in and play off of Crystal really well, can come in and play, play off of Stewie really well. We saw her do that in New York with Tina Charles. And like you said, she, she can sort of come off Howard. We watched her play so many times at the garden. Her stats don't necessarily always jump off the page, but boy, when you watch her in person, You can't ignore the impact that she has on the floor, especially defensively. And I think that last season we saw Stewie maybe overexert herself a little bit. I mean, she had a phenomenal defensive season, but she she was tasked with guarding a lot of players who were potentially bigger than her. You know, a lot of players who, you know, she she probably didn't play defensively as much as she had. In, at UConn and so now she has Carolyn Swords coming in who can maybe serve alongside her as another rim protector well you know the interesting thing with Brianna Stewart and it's a good problem to have but it's a really big question is somebody who has those across the board skills you don't necessarily know how to build a team around her simply because she gives you the luxury of you can put her at the five and not right. think twice she can about do everything yeah. yeah and and so seattle last year it feels like when they tried to move her away from the five you know you've got crystal you've got alicia clark you can plug in at different times and she's very talented but you know 511 so having that legit size the sword size is i think a really significant thing in terms of seattle being able to have different looks and like you said take away from some of the musts that uh, Stewart needs to do. I I do see, though, for New York, this is a more interesting set of moving parts. And Kia Vaughn, I think, slots in for them, essentially, as a Carolyn for the upcoming season. And how they end up using her, I think, will be very similar. But Bria Hartley, 
she's the real unknown here. She's someone who, all right, she shoots 36% from three last year. So here's someone who could give them some perimeter scoring, giving them an option with Sugar Rogers being a restricted free agent. If they don't want to bring Sugar back, not because Sugar didn't play well, but almost because she played too well. Because in Sugar's case, uh, with, with Epiphany Prince out for, the, uh, for most of the year, Sugar was effectively the starter and the number two option. She may get paid like one, and they may want to slot Bree Hartley in that, uh, in, in that spot instead. She also is someone who can moonlight at the point guard spot, and New York is still looking for the depth that goes along. Yeah, I mean, Howard, how many times have we talked about how we would really love to see New York maybe pick up, you know, a, a pure point guard or someone who, who would be able to give them some extra minutes at the point guard position? And so, like you said, she, Bria Hartley, the question is going to be, can she come in and maybe be that player for them um, and, and relieve some of the burden that we've seen Tanisha Wright have to shoulder over past years. And you know what? It could be it could be really interesting to see how it turns out for them. And to take nothing away from Brittany Boyd, who's a player I'm still right. very high on, but someone she, who... She was great terrific, at the end of that season. She was explosive. Yeah, exactly. And, and she is a top 10 defensive player on the perimeter from day one. So she's someone who very much fits not only... Uh, at the point guard position, but specifically with the way New York plays. Uh, but obviously, right. getting that uh, fallback position is really important for someone who had multiple wrist injuries last year. Uh, it's it's a point guard scarce league. And so making sure that you have coverage, mm-hmm. you know, you core Tanisha Wright to bring her back, but Tanisha Wright, and Bill Beer talks about this all the time, in a perfect world, is not the starting point guard or is not playing extended right. minutes at the point at this point in her career. Nor nor I don't think does she want to be. I mean, I remember in the past I've heard her say, you know, in her time at Seattle, if Sue Bird had an injury and she was tasked with bringing the ball up, she's much more comfortable uh, playing off the ball. And New York gets better looks when she is playing off the ball. So now you're just adding one more player to alleviate that burden from her. Absolutely. So it it will be interesting to see. Obviously, they're trying to give themselves some more versatility, and I think that makes a lot of sense. And Now, we talked about Swords uh, in Seattle because she was traded to Washington very, very briefly. Uh, mm-hmm. We will never forget that 90 minutes that she was in Washington. But then she was on to Seattle along with the 15th overall pick uh, from Washington in exchange for pitch number six and number 18. Now, there's a lot of moving parts here, but I guess the place to start is it's interesting that Seattle decided to deal the number six pick, and it's interesting that Washington acquired the number six pick. They did not then send it in the Elena Deladon trade, and uh, Gene Wang of the Washington Post, who's just a terrific reporter who writes frequently about the WNBA, uh, talked uh, very, uh, not so cryptically, but very excitedly about the idea that Washington has more coming. As of this recording, we don't know what that is. But as far as what they could be doing with that six pick, what do you think are possibilities for Washington with it? Oh, man, I think that it's such a unique spot. You know, when Seattle had that number six pick, I was going back and forth trying to, you know, plug in some numbers, see who they might be able to pick up. Mm -hmm. But the draft this year, Howard, we've talked about this. There's not, obviously, there's not a 
a Stewie type player who's coming out um, that everybody has their eyes on. And a lot of it is going to be driven by need. And so potentially someone that you might have thought would have gone one or two might not necessarily go one or two this year based on the needs of different teams that have the higher draft picks. So I think that they have a lot of possibilities with the number six pick. I think that it's it's great for them that they were able to to secure that as well. And I think, you know, I think it, it is for me looking at how it played out for Seattle, I think that it was fair for them to give up the number six pick um, in exchange for Carolyn Swords. I mean, Jenny Busick made a comment that they've had their eye on her for a very long time. And I think it's because they know that she's a player who can fit so well in their system. Yeah, it all makes sense. And, and as you're talking about it, obviously the thought that comes to my mind is, gee, are you going to be able to get what I think is Washington's number one need right now, which is a point guard, a true right. point guard. When I when I look at the difference between the Washington team that made the playoffs and very nearly knocked off the Liberty in 2015 and the team that missed it in 2016, I see the loss of Carol Larson, uh, Carol Lawson as the number one uh, reason for it. Carol Lawson always makes the intelligent play on the floor, like very few I've seen. And so... When you think about what the number six pick can get, okay, there may not be that player at six. I, I don't see Kelsey Plum dropping to six. If Kelsey Mitchell enters the draft, I don't see her dropping to six. I think you would have a real hard time getting that player you could plug in to be that day one starter at the point, which is what they need and right. what they are setting themselves up for, obviously, by making a deal for Elena Deladon. So that leaves me with the other question, which is, how do you go and fill that role with a trade? To me, uh, Daniel Robinson was the way to do that. And as it turned out, there was a similar trade for the five pick that got that done. If it's not Daniel Robinson, it's clearly not now that she's in Phoenix. What point guard can they possibly get? Is there is there a deal for Brienne January? It's hard to imagine the six comes close to getting that done. Is there a point guard out there, I guess I'm asking, that you think completes the puzzle for Washington? I don't. Uh, I don't think at this time um, that there is. And that's just because point guards, experienced point guards, so someone who, like you said, someone who's not coming out of the draft, someone who's pro-ready, who has four or five years experience under her belt, like Danielle Robinson has, they are so hard to come by in this league. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so you look at the list of potentially available players. I mean, I think everyone probably has their eye on Christy Tolliver, unrestricted free agent. Um, she's more of a shooting guard. You know, Jasmine Thomas is on that list. I, I don't, I don't really see um, how Washington can fill that void at least this season. But then again, I think that we can all agree that they're probably in one of the best places or they're at least going to be in one of the best places if they do indeed acquire Elena Deladon. Um, so I think that that makes up for it a little bit. You know, it's interesting to me. The deal between Washington and Chicago somehow was not expanded to include a point guard despite the fact that if you go by assist percentage, which I prefer to assist per game because it uh, reflects pace 
and is, I think, more accurate in terms of how effectively a point guard finds her teammates. Jameer Faulkner was number one in the league in assist percentage last year, and Courtney Vandersloot was number five. And so figuring out a way to expand the deal to get one of those two players, it's an embarrassment of riches for Chicago. Uh, I'm a little bit surprised that Washington didn't figure out a way to do that, although both of them obviously are worth quite a bit and might have been beyond what Washington was able to trade. But you go down that list of the best in the lead in assist percentage. Sue Bird isn't going anywhere. She's number two. Brittany Boyd is not going anywhere. Liberty need her and need her to be what she was. Note that she was number three, by the way. Brittany Boyd, if healthy, is an elite player in this league. Mariah Jefferson, number four, is obviously not going anywhere. Sydney Colson, number six, might be going somewhere, but it'll be interesting to see. And then you've got Brianne January, Candace Parker, Natasha Clouds right there in Washington, and Tanisha Wright's 10th. So there isn't an obvious answer among the very best playmakers in the league. And like you said, Christy Tolliver is a terrific potential target, but there's a lot of overlap between her game and Ivory Lada's game, who, for the record, I absolutely love, love her game and love the intensity she brings, and her, not to mention her defense, which should not go unmentioned. But the reality is that Ivory Lada is best served being off the ball, just because she's such a prolific three-point shooter and she's such a great creator off the ball. It's the, the way you want to see her. So I don't really know how Washington solves this. Look, maybe Elaine is the point guard. Yeah, <laughs> I think that we've had this argument. Can Elena Deladon play point guard? Wouldn't put it past her. Be but, I mean, I, I don't, we can't underestimate what Ivory Lada is capable of. Um, I think it was 2015, right? They're not getting my seasons wrong or confused. Their playoff run, she played a huge, huge role in that. Absolutely. Um, I remember watching her play and saying, wow, you know, she actually is doing a fantastic job running the offense, distributing the ball. So I think that she actually can um, fill that void. But, of course, there's she's suffered from some injuries in, in past season. And, you know, for, for a team who doesn't really have much depth at that spot, it, it has to be a cause of concern for them. I, I, I would also point out that Carol Lawson was a big part of that stretch run as well. But right. w- without, without question – uh, listen, if, if anyone is going to be able to overcome injuries, it's Ivory, who's a yes. cancer survivor, who's managed to do everything. And so looking forward to seeing her perform as well. But whether it's her, whether it's somebody else, it's a real question for Washington still to answer. So I don't know what that six pick is going to be packaged into if, uh, if we believe uh, Gene, uh, and I certainly do, but it'll be fascinating to see. Uh, now, there was another trade that Washington made, um, at least uh, there, it has been agreed to uh, as, of, uh, as of right now. Um, there's a, a player from the Chicago Sky, um, some of you may have heard of, named Elena Deladon. And she is the highest profile player, uh, I would argue, uh, if you take into account both performance and age, she's just 27, to ever have been traded in WNBA history. She got sent to Washington, uh, pushed her way out, and uh, exercised whatever she was able to do in terms of leverage in order to do that. 
uh, something that I certainly take no issue with. I know you don't either. Uh, in exchange for uh, Steph Dolson and Kalia Copper and the uh, number two overall pick in this draft. So just initial thoughts about uh, the balance of this trade in your mind. Uh, my initial thought was, wow, this is a big deal. And it it deserves uh, the attention that it's been getting so far. I think it deserves even more attention because the fact of the matter is that we don't see moves like this happen often in the WNBA. I mean, the WNBA has a great, everybody should go look at it, uh, a list that was posted a few days ago of the biggest trades in WNBA history. I mean, for me, if I'm going to consider what the biggest trades are, I could probably count them on one hand, maybe two. Uh, so so these things just don't happen that much. We don't see movement of key players, and there are so many reasons for that that all go back to the WNBA CBA. Right. But I think that what we saw here was that it definitely wasn't just, you know, one player movement. It, it was like a domino effect, and we've seen that it's basically had an impact on three teams in the league, Seattle, uh, Washington, Chicago, actually probably four teams, New York. Um, and so it, it's, it's huge. And I'm, I'm happy to see, to see it happen in this league. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And, you know, I, I am perhaps the biggest fan of Stephanie Dolson around. And I think she's really talented. She's still just 25. I, I can't wait to see what kind of player she becomes. But I think it's an awkward centerpiece for Chicago to bring back in the sense that you have Imani Boyette there uh, who had the best rookie year of anyone other than Brianna Stewart, certainly, and possibly Mariah Jefferson. I I think you make an argument either way as far as that goes. Uh, A 6'7 center who has converted tools to skills. That's the type of player you build around. And... Stephanie Dolson, who, to her credit, is a tremendous inside-outside player, expanded her game to the three-point line and beyond, and is willing to do a lot of different things on the court. Let's not overlook Steph, uh, Steph Dolson's passing out of the high post. Just a lot of things that are super impressive. But on the defensive end, in a lead where there are more and more speedy fours and stretch fours, there are teams that are going to create some matchup problems for Chicago going big. And my understanding is that the plan is for them to go big. So I don't know what the options were once Washington made it clear we're not giving up Emma Meesman, who would have slotted in very nicely as the four right next to Imani at the five. Uh, But it it is a bit of a concern, especially on the defensive end. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree with you on that. Uh, I'm interested to see how Chicago works it out. Because you look at, like you said, you look at a player like Imani Boyette, and what you want to see for a player like that is to have the best growth possible in this league. You want to see her be on a team where she can really, really develop. And I actually think that playing with someone like Steph Dolson might be a really good thing for her. Steph Dolson can do a lot of different things, and she also brings, you can't underestimate what she brings to any team, which is unparalleled energy levels unparalleled enthusiasms enthusiasm and just a real love for the game and so i my hope moving forward is that 
Um, the two of them can find a way to play off of each other a little bit and mostly to learn from each other because we know this, Samani Boyette's ceiling is really high. Yes. And she's going to be able to do a lot of things in the years to come. And so I hope that uh, Chicago can find a way to make that work, not just for her, but for also Steph Dolson. You know, Steph was playing in the first game I ever brought my older daughter uh, to uh, for for the WNBA. And it, I think, was a large reason why my daughter, who was four at the time, really took to it. Because like you said, that, that energy is, is obvious to anyone and everyone. And I'm not just right. talking about the way in which she danced at the open practice in the 2015 All-Star Game, although that was also very impressive to be sure, and she'd be the first to tell you that. So moving beyond Steph uh, alone, though, think about in terms of Chicago at the number two spot. The best players in this draft right now, when you think about the consensus near the top, are players like Kelsey Plum, who we've talked about and will talk about until the end of time, just to be clear to our listeners. Uh, and there's the potential to have Kelsey Mitchell, who is a really, really exciting talent uh, out of Ohio State. But both of those players in a perfect world are going to fit in at the one. And as we just finished talking about, this is a Chicago roster with Jameer Faulkner uh, and Courtney Vandersloot, who's criminally underrated. And so that leaves you with who else? Well, there's Elena Coates, who... Uh, a lot of people like and has some things going for her, but again, another five. Uh, there's Bree Jones, who uh, is off the charts in terms of efficiency, but she doesn't make a lot of sense to play with Imani, let alone with Imani and Steph. Uh, it, it really starts to point to things like taking a shot on uh, someone like Diamond DeShields and hoping that she continues to develop. But it strikes me that not only is Steph an imperfect fit uh, as a centerpiece for this trade, but the number two pick in this particular draft is an imperfect fit. Right. It's just not... Because like we said, the the draft, the way that it's working out this year, it's all... It's driven by need, and it's now placing certain a team like Chicago um, in a bit of an awkward spot because what they need might not be something that they can pick up in the draft this year. But, you know, if, if Diamond DeShields declares, I think that she'd teams would make room for her on yeah. their roster if Diamond DeShields declare. Shatori Walker Kimbrough is another player who is versatile. She can do a lot of different things. She's great on the defensive end. I could see her maybe working in Chicago's system. And you also got to say, I mean, for me, the way that I look at it, I understand, like, we keep going back to this idea that the draft is driven by need this year. When I look at a player, though, like Kelsey Plum or a player like Kelsey Mitchell, if it would be really hard for me if I was looking at this from a team perspective to pass on those players, mm-hmm. even if the need isn't necessarily there on those rosters, they might be players too that you just make room for because they have that much upside as a potential pro player. Uh, but it, Oh, uh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I, would just, I, I wouldn't argue it, but here's my case for DeShields at two to Chicago. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of, so you move beyond the one and the five. There right. are a number of players that you can have at the two, you know, if you're talking about Cappy, if you're talking, you know, when Allie Quigley comes off the bench as well. But 
you have a number of players who can uh, essentially glide back and forth between three and four. Uh, I'm thinking very specifically of Jessica Breland and Tamara Young, two uh, right. terrific glue players for that Chicago Sky team. And when you think about what you want the most out of Diamond to Shields, it's consistency. I don't know who you're going to find who is a greater example of consistency and intensity on the defensive end than either of them, than Tamara Young and Jessica Breland. So having the two of them there to help develop her would, I think, be extremely helpful. It seems like it would be a particularly good fit for DeShields. I agree with that. I think that out of any team, I think Chicago might be the best fit for her. Yeah, it makes, it makes sense. I, I I think I just completed the second spot in my mock draft, which will be coming out later this week. <laughs> well, let's start speaking of uh, teams that have a lot of draft picks now. That's certainly San Antonio as the top overall pick, and now have the number five, which they acquired along with Isabel Harrison in a trade for Danielle Robinson. And so it's interesting there's sort of a cottage industry among WNBA observers where will Danielle Robinson be traded? Not because uh, she isn't a very talented player uh, who deserves to start, but because there are younger players at both of the guard spots in San Antonio with Mariah Jefferson at the point and Kayla McRide at the two, uh, a couple of young rising stars in this league. So this makes a lot of sense, assuming that there's a player at five who makes San Antonio better than having that third guard. So what do you think San Antonio needs at five, first of all? And second of all, do you think having that second top five pick makes it easier for San Antonio, who is sort of the extreme example of what you're talking about? If they were to take Kelsey Mitchell or Kelsey Plum, I mean, the way I've envisioned it is that you know, you're going crazy small and it's essentially a matchup nightmare, especially against teams that tend to go bigger. Do you think that that ends up leading to them making that type of choice that's best available player? It could because we've seen, you know, the point of comparison might be uh, Connecticut. You know, they have a very guard-heavy roster, and some might argue that maybe that wasn't the best choice for them. But, I mean, they also, of course, acquired Jonquil Jones, who was really great for them. But they have a a guard-heavy roster. And what we saw, what I admired in that team and what what Kurt Miller was able to do with that team, he used youth and he used guards and he used speed to his advantage. Um, And what you saw out of the Sun was just an ability to outrun teams, not necessarily with their talent, but just with their ability to just go, 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 go from, you know, point A to, to point B to point C throughout the game. Now, I I do think a lot of people are saying, okay, so San Antonio has the number one pick. They have to fill that center spot after losing Jane. It's a huge void on their team. Who are they going to fill it with looking at the draft right now? Some people are saying Elena Coates should go number one. I actually think that if I had a pick between Elena Coates and Bree Jones, I might go with Bree Jones. Uh, you and... know, I, I mean, I don't really understand the argument against Bree Jones because it, it seems mm-hmm. to boil down to an extra two inches. Two in inches height. of height, right. And I, I understand that to a degree if you're trying to project. I think projection is wildly 
overvalued in some WNBA front offices. We're getting players who have either graduated from college or at least 22 years old. The amount of development that you see once they get to the lead is far more limited than, you know, their one and done equivalents on, on the NBA side. And so what Bree Jones already does in terms of her strength, in terms of her ability to shoot 70% from the field, in terms of her ability to grab rebounds like very few people in the country, I just can't really understand how she wouldn't be the big. If you're choosing between bigs who can't step out if you're, mm-hmm. uh, or, or don't step out very much, if you're trying to get one of those classic fives, uh, she just seems to me like the, the pick that you ought to make in that situation. I agree with you. I do. And, you know, that's nothing. I watch Elena Coates play and sometimes, you know, my jaw drops open because she is she really does a lot for that South Carolina team. And her impact can't be understated. I mean, her rebounding ability, her defensive ability. But I think that if you put the two of those players alongside of each other, like you pointed out, Howard, I think that at this point, Bree Jones can do more. And San Antonio needs a player who can do more at this point, at that position after losing Jane. And so I, I think that Bree Jones would be a great fit for that team. We're having a different conversation if Asia Wilson is healthy or is uh, coming out of the draft and thankfully is healthy now. So, uh, But since, since that's not the South Carolina big we're talking about this year, it's a different thing. I'll leave you with one stat as it relates to San Antonio and just something to be considering because – Obviously, there's a lot of conversation around the five. There's a question about how they fit in uh, a potential additional guard. Last year, the San Antonio Stars shot 29.9% from three. That was 11th in the league, only ahead of the Atlanta Dream at 28.7%. This is a league where the very best teams, the Sparks shot 37.5% from three. Even the Liberty, who were not known for the three-point shooting, were 36.3%. It's something that has to improve, and I'm sure Ruth Riley's aware of it. It'll be interesting to see whether shooting is a way that they address it, and one way to address that shooting might well be by going small with uh, a certain Kelsey Plum at number one. Yeah, I, I would agree with that too. You know, it's it's hard for me to look at this draft. I struggle with it all the time. How could, in my eyes, a player like Kelsey Plum not go number one? You know, in mm-hmm. Any other year, she or Kelsey Mitchell might be that number one pick. But again, it's it's largely driven by need this year, San Antonio. I, I was lying. I have two more stats for you. San Antonio <laughs> was 12th in the league of 12 in pace at 74.2. I, I know someone who has played much faster for her entire collegiate career uh, at, up at the University of Washington. And their offensive rating, they were the lone team to average uh, below 100 in, the, in their offensive rating. They checked in at 96. So getting that offensive infusion, even at the expense of some height, might be the way they want to do it. But I want to take you over to the list of restricted and unrestricted free agents because when we're talking about that imperfect fit at the five, there are, interesting to me, multiple elite options when it comes to rebounding among the Mm -hmm. unrestricted free agents. So if you go rebounding percentage, top 10 in the WNBA, uh, Erlana Larkins is in that list. 
and so is Planet Pearson. So might these be mm-hmm. ways for San Antonio to address the five instead? Yeah, I think that they definitely could be ways. I think it comes down for San Antonio to the question of, all right, you know, if I if I can pick up an unrestricted free agent, do I need to solely focus on filling the five spot with my number one pick, or is it going to give me more flexibility otherwise? Or alternatively, um, you know, like you were saying, can we fill the number one with guards? And, you know, Planet Pearson and Erlana Larkins, those are, I mean, you watch Larkins play for Indiana, forget it. She's incredible on the inside. Um, she's a she's a rare type of inside player in the WNBA. She's probably one of the toughest inside players that there is. It was so um, notable. I, I just in, to that point, I feel like she set the tone so often for the Tamika Catchings overall feeling you got from Indiana on the right. She was like the enforcer, right? In there. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting, and and I think it's certainly a way that they can go going forward. I I really do wonder what what they're going to do in terms of pace, in terms of how they reconcile those things, because what you don't really see when you look at this list are the fives who would be more comfortable inside-outside, and, you know, Mm -hmm. the league is moving in that direction. Uh, Obviously, Mike Tebow uh, is well aware of that in Washington. He talks about it all the time. And bringing Elena Deladon is yet another example of how he sees the lead that way. So it may just be that in a positionless league that San Antonio has more of these options. But in terms of the league where more rebounding is needed and rebounding will play a key part and a league in which the defending champs out in L.A., found uh, their way to a title by going big, there are a number of options. And, you you know, the backcourt is more limited. Uh, Tell me a little bit about who are the free agents you're most interested in uh, along the perimeter. Hi, Christy Tolliver. One would think that every team has to have their eye on her right now. Um, She, I can't think of you know, a better shooting guard out there, a more valuable shooting guard. It's hard for me to picture her leaving LA. Uh, She had great success with them last season. I mean, they had great success, obviously, overall, but she's the type of player, man, if she's available and if she wants to make a move, then I I can't imagine that every team isn't sitting there saying, all right, how can how can we get Christy Tolliver on our roster right now? You know, even going back to that, Connecticut is very guard heavy, like you said, but they shot 30.8% from three. Well, Christy Tolliver is a 42.4% three-point shooter last year. I, mm-hmm. I mean, bringing her in creates some lineup log jam. And quite frankly, I have some uh, curiosity as to whether if Alex Bentley signs somewhere else as a restricted free agent, whether Connecticut will match because of the numbers log jam there as well. But you're right. She makes right. them instantly better. Another she... another fit is, of course, Atlanta, uh, the worst three-point shooting team in the league last year, who will be out without their leading scorer, uh, Angel McCautry, for at least a portion of the year. You could see building an offense around Christy Tolliver. No one would enjoy that more than Christy. I mean, she also, the thing that 
in my opinion, sets Christy Tolliver apart as a shooter. I can't tell you how many times I've watched a game with L.A. last year, and she'd be in a slump. First quarter would go by, you know, she wouldn't have a great first half. She starts second half, maybe not have a great start to the second half. And then all of a sudden, you're in the last five minutes of the game, and you need a shot. And Christy Tolliver comes through in those instances. She's the type of shooter, when she does have maybe a poor shooting game, she fights through it. And she's the type of player that you can build an offense around, especially in late game situations. And so, again, she she adds so much value to a team on the perimeter, but it's it's hard for me to envision her leaving L.A. I'll be fascinated to see. It would be a big loss for L.A. There's no question about it. When you look when you look at the restricted free agents, there are some difference makers there as well. I, a place I'd love to start is a player that you had uh, a significant interaction with last year. Wrote a great story about, uh, and that's Kelsey Bone. What do you think that Kelsey Bone can do for the right team, and where do you see as a potential fit for her? Well, Kelsey Bone is a player. I mean, we saw her do this um, to an extent in Connecticut. She She's a player who can fill a starting role mm-hmm. for a team and not necessarily have to be in a situation where she comes off the bench. And right now in Phoenix, I mean, a lot of this is also attributed to the fact that it was it was a switch late in the season for her. It was a it was a late season transaction. She didn't get that much time to acclimate to the team. I would love to see her be able to be on a team where she'd be able to immediately step into that starting role. And unfortunately, obviously in Phoenix, that's not the case. Right. The case with Brittany Griner, but she can add. She's that type of player who can add value to a team at the center position as, as an immediate starter. You know, she's, she's a player with a lot of experience, but Phoenix, I think made a a purposeful move in getting her because it puts them moving forward in a really good position with Brittany Griner. We saw Brittany Griner come out last season and she had a hard time with fouls. And half the time we saw her on the bench more so than we did on the court in really important moments and games. And that's where Kelsey Bone can fill the void for Phoenix. And so she can fit in on that team just as much as she probably could elsewhere in that regard. But again, I would love to see her be able to be picked up by a team where she'd be able to walk onto the lineup and have that starting role like she did in Connecticut. Okay, so I'm going to make the counter argument just more in support of Brittany Reiner Mm -hmm. Uh, over the course of the year we saw her uh, I think get better at controlling her fouls her fouls were I believe more a function of early in the season when uh, there were some real issues with how healthy she even was I am right hopeful cautiously optimistic that she has figured some things out heading into season five Uh, I've written this before and I will just Uh, say it yet again, I think it's important not to lose sight of how ridiculously great she has been already when we Mm -hmm. think about what she can be, because, you know, we were talking about with Imani Boyette before, everyone has the ceiling of what Brittany Griner can and should be. I'm as guilty as anyone. I I think Brittany Griner, with some adjustments, with figuring it out, with becoming more aggressive on the offensive end could be the Wilt Chamberlain of the WNBA. 
And that said, through her first four seasons, she's got a player efficiency rating already at 23.8 for her career, along with playing dominant defensive basketball. So this is someone who, if she simply got no better for the rest of her life, would be easy, easy Hall of Famer. Oh, but yeah, I, absolutely. I wonder, I wonder if maybe you want to have the, the training wheels off instead of having Kelsey Bowen. I understand why they did it, and, and you're right. right. If the fouls are a problem, uh, then certainly Phoenix needs to have that quality backup, which Bowen would be, a player who could start from any teams, a player who made an all-star team, as a matter of fact. Right. But, and, you know, to another point about Phoenix, when we're talking about um, Griner, one thing – Howard, how many times did we watch a game and walk away scratching our heads saying, why didn't Brittany Griner have more shot attempts in that yep. game? Yep. And I think for Phoenix this year, one thing that I'm really excited about is the fact that D-Rob opens up so much more for them on their offense yeah. because you take Diana Taurasi off the ball. You move her to where she plays best, in my opinion, which is at the two-guard spot and not at the one-guard spot. She can do it. Don't get me wrong. She can do it, and she could do it well. But we've always seen her more successful when she's kind of coming off the ball. I mean, think of when they had Cappy Pondexter on that team. And it was terrific for Diana because she got to sit on the perimeter and get shot after shot after shot. And so I think that D-Rob in that one position for Phoenix is going to open up so much more, not just for DT, but also for, for Brittany Griner. It's you know, really she's going to be able to right. She's going to be able to facilitate that offense more and get the ball inside. Because when you have, I mean, let's face it, when you have Diana Taurasi bringing up the ball, you know, chances are what we saw a lot last year was that she was shooting it because she's the leading scorer on that team. And you want your scorer to shoot the ball. But then you have to kind of make a compromise and say, all right, but I also have Brittany Griner in the paint. And Brittany Griner should be getting a significant amount of shot attempts per game. So I think that D-Rob is going to be able to fix that for them a little bit. So this is not a shot at Diana Taurasi, who is a great player. But it is more a function of the way Phoenix was built last year. For much Mm -hmm. of the year, and I'd have to go back and look to see if it ended up this way. Diana Taurasi was averaging more three-point attempts than Brittany Griner was averaging total shot attempts. And that just can't be. It just uh, – Diana is a terrific three-point shooter, uh, maybe not the 57% or whatever she shot in the Olympics, but she's a terrific three-point shooter. But Brittany Griner is as efficient as they come. So that has to change, and I agree with you uh, that I think there's a real good chance that – this will be the way that it happens. I do want to not neglect a couple of other off-the-ball players who are restricted free agents and could potentially be picked up. One of them is I want to make the case for Alex Bentley. Uh, Her numbers went down across the board last year. I don't think it was the right fit in Connecticut. It didn't seem like there was a connection between Alex Bentley and Kurt Miller. We were talking to him last month, and uh, he expressed a, a little bit of frustration about the way her season went. Uh, this is an extremely exciting, very passionate player, a volume scorer, and someone who I think in the right system could really help a WNBA team. And then the other player I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on is Sugar Rogers, who 
managed to step into that role as the number two scorer for New York last year, did it without losing any of the efficiency when she was instant offense coming off the bench. What do you think of those two players as far as, you know, where they could end up and what qualities they bring? Well, the selfish part of me doesn't want Sugar Rogers to go anywhere <laughs> um, because yeah. I I love watching her play in New York. And I think that I, you know, I would go out on a limb here and say that I don't think that we would have seen Sugar Rogers make such a quick development into the player that she's become on any other team. New, the Liberty have incredible player development mm-hmm. and incredible coaching. And I think that that was a huge factor in Sugar Rogers' development. So I'm actually going to say on Sugar Rogers, I just I want her to stay right where she is. I think that New York is the right team for her, and I think that the Liberty just maximizes her potential. Yeah, well, they maximize Alex, just about everyone. I mean, I mean right. the, between Teaspoon and uh, and Tatum right. Smith, that is a very deep staff. I totally. Agree I mean, you too. can't right. You can't ask for a better player development staff to have. Yeah, you're right. So if I'm if I'm Sugar Rogers, I I want to stay put just where I am. But Alex Bentley is tougher for me because I got to agree with what she said, which was that I'm not sure that. Connecticut was the best fit for her I'd have these moments where I'd watch her last season and I'd say wow you know she's the player that this team needs she has the ability to take over a game like I was saying earlier she's really explosive um, she's an explosive shooter she can be explosive to the rim when she wants to be she's fast but I'm not sure if Connecticut was the right fit she would be a guard though and a point guard that other teams, if they're in need of a point guard, could be interested in because I think that she has a, a lot of potential. And I don't think that Connecticut really, for many different reasons, was able to tap into all that she can really do for a team. So should she be a starting point guard? Should she be starting off the ball? Is she a sixth woman? You know, what is what is her ideal in your mind because I, I keep trying to figure it out I, I really like her game I find her really interesting to watch but that's what I'm trying to figure out you know it could be it I almost want to say that it it could be good for her to come off the bench as as a sixth woman but I think that she has the ability just from what I've seen and I, I'd really have to look at the numbers a little bit more for her assist her assist numbers or assist percentage, but I think that she has the ability on a team to be a starting point guard yeah. and not really to come off the bench and not necessarily to come off the ball. I think that there's a really interesting mix now in the WNBA. We don't have just pure point guards really anymore. We have a lot of point guards who are great at passing the ball, but also really great at creating their own shots. So it it could be I could see her going into a team where she might not have the opportunity necessarily to start at the point guard position and she might be the sixth woman coming off the bench but let me tell you something if she were the sixth woman she'd be the player you'd want in that position yeah. because she brings so much energy when she is on the floor and she's she's sort of almost like I mean not necessarily at all in terms of their games, but Dewana Bonner for Phoenix is that type of player mm-hmm. where she could definitely start, but when she comes off the bench, she just she's like a spark to the team. And Alex Bentley could be that type of player. So effectively, 
as a sixth starter, I will throw a couple of numbers out at you from her career. In 2014, she put up an assist percentage of 28, which would be up among the leaders uh, if she were to po have posted that in 2016. In 2015, not only was her turnover percentage just 7.3%, despite having the ball in her hands a ton, she managed to also have a steal percentage of 3.6%, which was among the league leaders as well. Uh, it's a reason why she ended up playing uh, at the All-Star game on her home floor. All of these numbers dipped in 2016, but in 2015, the assist percentage also dipped from 28 to 12.9%. Now, she was being used differently, but the whole idea is it's almost as if Connecticut, and in Connecticut's defense, there was turnover, there was a lot of different players and trying to figure out what worked. They, they didn't find that one spot for her. But right. she is, you know, only four years in the league. She is 26 years old. This is a player with a big future ahead of her, I believe. And I'm, I'm really curious to see where she, where she ends up and what she ends up being for, uh, for this league. Yeah, I agree. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Well, anything else that you think we haven't touched on? You know, when we talk about an offseason spectacular, I think it's really important to be comprehensive. And so hopefully... Hopefully you, the listeners, are feeling the same way. Yeah, I mean, we, we touched on uh, the, the Elena Deladon trade. Um, you know, I I just like to say that I think we always have to acknowledge there's a lot of upside to a trade like that happening in this league. Like I was saying earlier, they don't happen often at all. And so when they do happen – it creates this buzz and it gets people talking. It's like a domino effect. It's not just one team. It's several teams that are impacted. And I think that's that's healthy for this league to have something like that. And it's unfortunate that it can't happen as often as it might. Howard, you touched on this um, in your New York Times article a little bit because the WNBA has in their collective bargaining agreement um, several different levels to keep players from moving around one of those is the core designation which has been met with significant criticism in past years it's it's prevented um a player like elena deladon the centerpiece of a team from really moving around i mean we're and, talking and, and let's just talk briefly about that I, I, i'm sorry to interrupt but it's important yeah. that, that our listeners if they if they don't know teams are able to use the core designation four separate times on the same player so hypothetical player right. goes through she's a restricted free agent no, wants to go somewhere else team matches the offer uh, then she is a free agent at that point four consecutive times that player can be cored you think about the average length of a WNBA career that is taking you deep into your veteran years there is a reason like you said that someone like Deladon and there have been very few playing Deladon's level period but someone like Deladon at age 27 has ever moved in this league. Right. And I would also point out when you core a player, it doesn't just have to be, it, it can be for a season, but can also be for longer than that. And if it is longer than that, then the team's restricted from coring any other player on the roster, but it, it can be a significant amount of time where a player is locked down for movement. I mean, you can think back to, in 2013 with Tina Charles, when she she left Connecticut to go to New York, at the time, she was the only MVP ever 
in the history of the league to make a huge move like that. Right. She was the 2012 MVP. And so now you have, we're seeing Lena Deladon, the second MVP to really make a move. And I think potentially if the CBA didn't have that core designation, we, we would be having this conversation that we're having right now about the hype surrounding such a big move on a much more frequent basis. Oh, it's huge. It's huge for the league. And what may end up forcing their hand in terms of making this is not just that the attention itself would be significantly better for the WNBA, but we're now seeing a pattern. It's something that Tina was able to do successfully when she wanted to move from Connecticut to New York. It's something that Sylvia Fowles was able to do a couple of years ago, uh, moving uh, from Chicago to Minnesota. Now Elaine is doing it as well. And if you have the de facto ability to force your way out, if you're one of the best players anyway, at that point, the value of the core designation goes down for the lead side and the lost opportunity remains the same and is very right. significant. It's something I think the league understands as well. So I, right. I think you're onto something here. I think something significant is in the often uh, in the next CBA. Right. And I, you know, to play Howard, you always play devil's advocate. I'll play devil's advocate on this one. Sure. I think that the argument against getting rid of the core designation is this idea. And, and you know what? I think that this idea is really worth something is that you want fans, especially want to see their big star players stay where they are. And I think there there is something to be said in this league, and I think it's a large part of reason why the league has been able to sustain itself for 20-plus seasons is that we've, we've seen players go to teams and go to franchises and make it their home. Tamika Catchings, Diana Taurasi, Suber, those franchises owe so much of what they become to those players. And so if I, if I had to play devil's advocate – you know, I'd, I'd make that argument that the core designation allows for teams to retain its stars. But me personally, I are more on the side of I would rather see more player movement because I think that at this point, that's what this league needs. And if there is an alt history where there's a Tamika Catching sweepstakes and people are bidding for her services, I venture to guess, although we, one never knows with alt history, uh, that the league as a whole would have benefited from it. But we may be about to see it. Uh, well, listen, Gabrielle Levine, always a pleasure. Let people know where they can find you on Twitter. And uh, please, I would encourage every one of you, if you see her byline, read it. And if you see her on Twitter, pay attention to what she has to say. It's Gabrose1. It's Gab underscore Rose1 on Twitter. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. And to our listeners, hope you enjoyed this supersized edition. Uh, we didn't even get to Kayla Alexander, who's a terrific potential option inside, had a bit of a breakout second half for San Antonio. See, we cannot get to everyone. That's how exciting WNBA offseason is. Hope you're as excited as the two of us are. Uh, I am Howard Megdahl, wishing you a very good day. <laughs>